So they argue they don't she she leaves or he doesn't go looking for her. Bad things. He goes to Faye, blah blah blah. He goes to Demeray, blah blah blah. He's in Tarbine. Tarbian. Finally gets back. And then Now this is after he gets back from he gets to the university and spends like a whole term there. It's been almost like three fourths of a year since he had the argument with Denna. So it's been almost an entire year. So he's already called the wind a couple times. And she is struck with an asthma attack. I'm assuming that's like. I, are, are we, I was going to say that's what I think it is too. Yeah, is that what we're agreeing on? Yeah. Is uh, He's got asthma, right? Yeah. Like uh, or some, some sort, sort of. of Similar, yeah. I think we're all good there, then. Comes into the uh, inn, where, obviously, Kavoth is showing one of his less-than-good habits of trying to listen in on people tell stories about him. <laughs> and she falls down, and he calls the wind and saves her. And uh, what, what's his, his wording is, I need you to breathe for me, I think. So, seven words and, again. Yep, his, her first words are, Seven words again. Like, what gets me is every time she says something like that, because she knows the whole thing of there's seven words to make a girl love you. And she, she keeps, oh, she, yeah, she says that. Like, they've, they've talked about it. This was in Name of the Wind when she was like, well, you've already said those to me. The first words that you said to me are, you, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know where you're going. Like, every time she mentions this seven words thing, it to me, that is her weirdly telling Kavoth that she loves him. Like, in her own secretive way, obviously. The ways that he her, does it. Yeah. But, like, that's her secretive way of doing it. Then, oh, and that's the first time that he reads one of her braids. Because that's after he goes to the university and starts yearning, learning uh, to read story knots. Like, I understand her getting a little huffy, but she, she does get uh, a little mad at him for being able to read it. I think... I think what's happening is she, we, we've already discussed, she's very prideful. Yeah. But she seems to be very prideful of these secrets that she seems to be getting. And one of those secrets was her story that she was trying to write. And I think another one of these secrets is Yillish knots. Like, she obviously picked them up in Yilm, so she's like, I think that's one of the secrets that she was yelling about, that I know things. And one of these is obviously, thing, and I think she gets... A little mad when he's able to read it, and maybe a little embarrassed too. Because yeah, that's what I think, she says. yeah, I think a lot of it is, is embarrassed, which I would be too if I had lovely written on myself in a language <laughs> that I didn't think anybody would be able to read. And somebody's like, "Oh, that says lovely," and I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> they actually they share a carriage together back to uh, Emre, and uh, they discuss many things about the last few guys she dated. And once again, she's making the whole, Oh, they're still looking in the same book and they just flipped a page and it's on to something all the same, but it definitely get the whole thing. gets very awkward because at this point, obviously Kavoth does not want to bring up the song. He does not want to bring up Valorian. And so like when they're talking, there's standstills, there's they pause at times. There's whole hours where they just don't talk and it get. And by the end of it, they do. They they say it gets, it's getting pretty awkward in there with them. 
So do you guys think she, she finished her song though, right? Do you guys think she uh, changed anything? Do you think she went back to study a little more, or she just went full full ahead without even naming the city or at all? She knew she had to fix some of the things, so I'm not. I don't think that she went forward with her first draft, but I don't think she changed it enough that Laundry is the bad guy. Yeah. Do you think she changed the name back to Mayor Terennial? Fifty-fifty. <laughs> yeah, because we we know from later on that he says that it's a widely known song by now. So she obviously went ahead and finished yeah. it, sang it, and at this point they're not talking about it. So and I think he even mentions that he doesn't think she's performing it yet. Yeah, we don't know that one yet. I'm wondering what you guys were thinking about that, if she changed it or not. I think she I might be of- too prideful to change it. I honestly think she might keep it. Especially once both called it out, I think that would be, their fight would be a big reason not to change it. Because changing it is saying that he was right and she was wrong. And I don't think that that's something that she would necessarily be willing to admit. Yeah. I I see her not changing it. Like, her fixing the problems that needed fixed, like, that she already knew about. But, like, not even changing the name of the city. Especially because she'd have to change the meter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they <laughs> they ride in the carriage back to Imray, and they see each other on and off, and he's getting ready to give back her ring. Mm-hmm. And they are meeting at the stream, having a picnic. Well, first off, he, um, he takes her to a field of daisies. Ah, yes. Uh, one that he found... <laughs> like in the months before. And um, so he takes her to the field, and which was nice because the first thing she does was kisses his cheek. And that's very nice. And she seems appreciative of it. Until. <laughs> until, yeah. So do you want me to just run down? I got the whole thing in notes. Do you want me to just run down what happens until the big argument? Well, first, first I'd like to say he's, he said, I've been waiting to show these flowers how pretty you are. Yep. And that's just yep. so sweet. That. Yeah, that's like the best line ever. I've been waiting for a man to use it on me. <laughs> well, well, you said your husband's reading the books, so hopefully he is. He'll listen to this and he'll know. I'm just gonna make sure I highlight uh, <laughs> that section just so he knows that he uh, he needs to use that on me at some point. Well, he's got to find a field of daisies first. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I, daisies. I don't know that I'm a daisy girl. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I tell my daughter now? I tell her she's as bright as a new penny. Aww. Aww. She loves it. <laughs> All right. She hitches up her skirt and gets into the water. And, like, the weird thing, like, that was a good first start. Like, uh, you know, here's your daisies. You're very pretty. Everything's nice. So she gets in the water, and she picks up a stone and then tells him awkward story about a stone that has been thrown and it's obviously like a story about her, about how, you know, men pick her up and throw her and they find her useless and this and that. So it's a very sad story. about, And it kind of frustrated me there because it was like so out of place. And I'm kind of confused on why she said it. Like, was it to bring down the mood? Was it like a warning to him? Was she like trying to suggest to Kavoth himself that he was the one that threw her away? 
I don't know. Like, even Kavoth is very confused on what to say to this. So, what do you guys think her reasoning for that story was? I think she was having a moment of honesty with him. That it wasn't necessarily a manipulation thing. Like, that it started out lighthearted, like, I can listen to stones. And then she was just... She was being truthful with him, telling about herself. Which I think is just as terrifying for her as it is strange to him. I like that. Now, you guys don't believe she can actually listen to Stones, though, right? Do you? No, I don't. But I know people who would I know people who would read that section and be like, oh, she's a listener or something <laughs> like that. So, all right, just so we're on that same page. She's, she doesn't actually hear a story in the stone. All right, good. I mean, not any more than any of us would. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, good. Because I, I guarantee there's somebody on the forum that's like, see, here's proof that she can listen to stone. <laughs> yep, so, and then it kind of like, she tells the story, he kind of gets a little awkward, he doesn't know what to do with it. And then he picks up a stone and does his thing, you know, ooh, I heard this one, and then they start playing. They're playing in the water, having a good time, until they realize they are close together. And they back up pretty quickly. And uh, then she uh, she actually she takes off her, like, she's very... It's really interesting to read these parts, because, like, she gets embarrassed with being close to Kavoth, right? And being a little revealing, because all her clothes are wet. But then the next thing she does is get onto the shore and literally just take off her dress. And all she has is, like, the undershirt or whatever the it is shift. on. Yeah, the shift. So she, like, has no qualms over just literally just taking off the dress right there. Even though, obviously, the shift is going to be even more revealing. So that, to me, tells me, like, it, it she's much more embarrassed about the closeness of them, like, relationship-wise than she is of just looking sexual in front of him. And then she goes off and walks through the water and gets on the rock and starts drying off. Sunning. It's the perfect sunning rock. This actually drives me nuts more than almost anything else is uh, when she's on the rock, he's coming up. She, I don't know why this annoys me so much, but you see it in other stories and other, it's kind of a trope. He's looking down on her, kind of just figuring out what he wants to do. And she says, yes. And he's like, what? You're about to ask a question. The answer is yes. This frustrates me because this is literally like another test. This is another yeah, that test actually on, me too. <laughs> uh, like, what is he willing to push? And it drove, like, when's that going to end? Stop just, you know what I mean? It just. Ah, that frustrated me. That ah, because then instantly Kavoth is on the defense of what he should do. How much can he get away with? And he's yeah. very gentlemanly. He's like, can you scoot over? And that's and yeah, and that, and that's the thing. He's always like, except for when they're mad at each other, he's always very gently. He doesn't push. So he's like contemplating, 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 and he obviously goes with. And you scoot over so I can sit down. And what annoys me is, like, she's like, well, yeah, the answer was yes. As if that's what she was actually thinking the whole time. 
<laughs> to be fair, he was thinking about whether or not there was room up there, so maybe she was just reading his mind. <laughs> now she has that power. <laughs> Later on, uh, he he has his shirt off, so when she does finally open her eyes, she like kind of has a look of shock for a split second until she looks down and he still has his pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Which... To me, that, you know, that might be just from her past, you know, that was kind of like a past experience, you know, a past experience shock. But it's also like, did she really think his pants would be off? Like, she's known him for a long time. Did she really think they were going to be off? I don't know. But uh, she does make a joke here. Granted, she says it like a joke, but we'll see what you think. She does mention that she likes the look of him. Being his her slave, her shirtless slave. Her bare chested. <laughs> bare chested slave. Feed me strawberries. <laughs> yeah, that's what she says. And they do. So then they eat. Uh, and that's actually when the after they get done eating and he sits up, that's when they have the whole discussion about his scars. Now when she he leans forward, this is he starts thinking about how he's gonna bring up her patron again. And that's when she preemptively starts talking about his scars, which that did the trick. That got him to shut up about the patron, mm-hmm. sure enough. Because he went through the whole exercise of, well, if I'm getting whipped at the university, then I guess she's okay getting beat by her patron. Yeah. So do you think that was, like, premeditated by any chance? Or that was just a lucky, uh, lucky shot on her part? Uh, I think she could tell he was preparing for something, but not necessarily what. So she preempted the thing that she wanted to deal with the least. I I could see that. Because as fast as his mind's running and thinking about stuff, you know she's thinking about stuff the same Mm -hmm. as him. So her mind's running just as fast. And I know she doesn't want altercation because of this. So she wants to try to nip that in the bud before it gets. uh... But I think we were also we also agreed earlier that him getting whipped at the university is definitely not the same. Mm. Yes. Then she decides to bring up the subject of Kavoth with other girls. Yeah. Which, the second that gets brought up, she, like, kind of starts giving him the cold shoulder. Well, not immediately, because she still flirts with him. Well, that's like, it's kind of, like, it's not a full-fledged get-away-from-me. It's like, uh, she just kind of, she stops, like, a lot of her playfulness. She stops a lot of the jokes. She, And then that's when she starts doing a little bit more s- snippy remarks at him. And, like, that's when she, like, wants to get off the rock. She gets off the rock, and she slips down on accident and reveals a bunch of her leg, which she happened to be looking at. And then it frustrates me because she, she's frustrated for whatever reason. And then she gets to the damn uh, field of daisies again, and she says, do you bring all the other girls here? Which is just like, God, really? This is what you're going to do now? What is wrong? What, hap- what happened to make her mad now? She went from fun, playful, to mad and accusing him of bringing all the other girls, he she's like he hasn't he didn't do anything through the entire conversation to so like she's got this weird jealousy now 
that uh, is springing up. What do you think about this jealousy of hers about Kavoth dating other women? I don't know if dating in this necessarily the best term for <laughs> what I mean, he takes them out on dates. But he takes them I mean, to dinner. He takes them to a show. Yeah, maybe <laughs> some of them. I don't know. I feel like she's suddenly experiencing the same things that he's been feeling this whole time, and I don't think that she's accustomed to feeling that way. Very few she's of us. Mean about uh, it though, right? She's mean about it. I think she was insecure, and she wanted him to tell her, no, you're special. I've never brought another girl here. I think he was about to. What happened was she was saying that. She's like, I bet you bring all the girls. And that's like when she falls in the water or something. Yeah. So he never gets a chance to like answer her mm-hmm. or anything. And then when they finally get to the thing, she's all mad. Well, her shift got wet. That's pretty irritating, Jeff. But still, like, she's taking it all out on him. Like, it's obviously this jealousy that's just popped up in her. But she is literally being super mean to him for no reason. He's super confused. He's just like, what did I do now? She brings up the other women. She falls in the water. She gets wet. I would have carried you. And then... Oh, yeah, he tried to. They fell. Yeah. And then she lifted up her thing, but it still got wet. And then she says, you know, I would have carried you seven words. What should I do? Uh, uh, and that's when he says, love me. But well, he, that's like... And, uh, yeah. And that's when she gets really mean. Well, the thing was, like, when he said those seven words, he doesn't mean to say seven words. But when she he said, like, like she's, she said, what's a woman to do? Like, she said it in a mean way to him. Like, insulting oh, see, him now for saying other seven words. I saw it more of a, like, hand to the forehead. A flirtation. What's a woman to do? Oh, oh no, I saw no. it, too. Like, it was that, more of a flirtation. It was not flirtatious at all. She did it in, like, annoyance. Like, oh, there you go again. Another seven words. Come sweep me off your feet there. Well, she, it says. Well, that's how you read it, but, I mean. Pressed the back of over. her hand to her forehead. Another seven words. I swoon. She fanned herself with her other hand. What should a woman do? I imagine, like, if this was happening in on in America instead of in Temerant, it would be a girl pretending to be like a southern belle. Oh, another seven words. What's a girl to do? Hmm. But you hear it as mean. Well, the thing is, this is coming, like, ten seconds after she's complaining about him bringing girls to that place and also him bringing them roses. Ugh. Because you, you're a part of the men. You're just like everybody else. So that's that's why I read it like that, because the same thing she was saying ten seconds earlier were in a disdainful way. See, and I didn't even see that as necessarily disdainful. More, like, I think a lot of the things that you see as disdainful, I see as kind of like a just amused teasing. Really? I don't read it like that at all. So he says, love me. Earnestly, seriously, On, yeah. straight into Wrong her thing face. to say. Like, he can't, like, she could take this in many ways. She could have taken it as a joke. She could have taken it honestly. And, like, if she took it honestly, like, she's been telling him that she loves him half a dozen times now through her weird little ways. She could have said, I do. If she was taking it any, like, other way. She chose to 
Oh, yeah. Like, she uses it as a, oh, no, you're not going to buy me. You're not going to. So she, like, went right back to that argument of, you're not going to own me like you own all these other girls. And then and then she ties her hair and, you know, don't talk to me. Well, that's another difference of reading because you hear, oh, no, but I hear, like, a rueful smile, like, oh, no, not that trap for me. I'm not going to be one of your captures. I hear it is more, I hear it more lightly than you do. Like, you're teasing your friend, oh, marry me. It's like, ah, I could never try tie myself down to one man, not when you're so flippant with your love. So if she was just playing, then why did she tie a braid in her hair that said, don't talk to me? Because she's still also, like, I think she's embarrassed and upset, but I don't think she's saying them in the same tone. Like, you you can feel two things at the same time. Also, you, you've got to remember that we don't know that it said don't talk to me. Both specifically says that he couldn't read it, but he just knew that that was what it said. And there have been times in the book that we know for certain that he knew something and I'm doing air quotes right now that you can't see, <laughs> um, and was wrong. So as far as we know, she just did a braid and had like a look in his eyes that he misinterpreted. Well, that kind of like that kind of tells me how she was talking. Then, like if her his interpretation of how she was talking and how she was braiding her hair was "Don't talk to me," then his interpretation of how she was talking was disdainful, was mean. But we yeah. also know that. He- Especially with women, he's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Mm. Women and alchemy are the two subjects where we really cannot trust his perspective. I'm getting this from Kavoth's point of view, and she just sounds mean here. She sounds jealous and mean and frustrated. And, like, this was a really nice get together until she decided to get mean about it or get jealous about it. And like the entire time he's watching her on the arm of all these other men, he never once gets snippy about it with her until, you know, the argument. I, you know, that's the other thing, but like they never get snippy about it and jealous about it. And that might be because she's not used to it, but that doesn't give her the right to be mean like this. (sighs) And she like she keeps accusing him of being like every other man this whole scene of wanting to buy her wanting and it's frustrating me because like how many times does he have to prove that he's not doing that At least a few more <laughs> <laughs> Always one more So and this is the heartbreaking part of this whole scene is like the whole book is leading up to him giving her this ring and it being a magical thing. And he blunders up, gives her the ring, and she's glad to see it. She is definitely glad. And that actually, like, alleviates a lot of the, the, the pissiness that she's kind of dealing with. But she's still kind of is a little cold shoulder from him still after that as they're leaving. But it's like, that's the heartbreaking part. Like, we're all looking for this. You know, he's going to give her the ring, and it's going to be magical, and they're great, and everything. And when he finally does give her the ring, it's uh, to appease 
some of the anger is just so heartbreaking that part well she seems really excited and she's about to cry but then he's like i got it from ambrose and just that's what brought it down and i'm it makes me wonder is she thinking that he and ambrose have some sort of relationship is something about ambrose especially off-putting like what about saying i got it from ambrose changed her from being almost crying with relief it sounds like to me to have there? it back what you got the book uh, i'm yeah it says uh she's turned it over in her hands then removed one of her other rings and slid it onto her fingers it is she said in amazement a few te- tears spilling over how did you ever i got it from ambrose i said oh she said she shifted her weight from one foot to another, and I felt the silence loom up between us again. Well, you know what that might be, because that was like her secret. Her secret is that Ambrose took it from her, that Ambrose tricked it out of her. Until then, she had no idea that anybody else knew that Ambrose would have had it. But Wait, again, didn't she? I thought she told both that she gave it to him to be resized. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe she, maybe she doesn't know that he knows who Ambrose is. I forget. That's all earlier in the book, and I do not want to look it up. <laughs> but that kind of, I mean, that doesn't necessarily, like, she specifically asked, how'd you get it? But, okay. Maybe she thought he got it some other way and just was put off when, I don't know. Well, maybe, too, the familiarity was part of her concern, because she didn't say, I got it from, I don't know what his title would be. Baron. But using, yeah, Baron, Baron Jackass. Sorry, Jackass. Um, or I just I think the familiarity would be where I would be concerned, at least. I don't know that especially royalty, that if I didn't know them, I would be talking about them by their first name with no title. I think that sort of implies some level of familiarity, at least. Mm. And I could see why familiarity with Ambrose would not reflect well on someone. Well, actually, it comes to mind, it was earlier in the book where she was like, uh, he was like, oh, where's your ring? And she's like, oh, somebody has, oh, you might know him. He goes to the university. And she doesn't mention Ambrose by name, I believe that. And yeah, it could be, I guess. But in the end, and she brings down the tempo again, and they kind of walk out kind of a little cold going out again. So it wasn't as joyous of a reunion for the ring that I think everybody reading the book was hoping for. Which, bravo, Pat. I mean, that's how you do it. But <laughs> So, in my personal reading and how I read this, I find her very mean in this scene. I don't think that that scene went the way either of them wanted it to. Like, it didn't go either way they wanted to, but she was the only one bringing it down, though. I don't think it was intentional. Even if it was, I mean, that, I mean, that's all, if it's not intentional, that's fine. I mean, like, she has really bad people skills with Kavoth on that point, and that's <laughs> fine, but I don't like people that take their jealousy and frustration out on other people. So, they leave with this silence between them, and it's almost the end of the book. Is that the last time they see each other in this book? Is No. No, it's not. Uh, she comes and visits him one last time, 
and she is saying she is leaving. So this is like the first time that she's like legit, like she goes and visits him and tells him that she's leaving. So, I mean, they don't, yeah, they don't end the book on a bad note because she, you know, there's still, you know, she came over and is telling him that she is going to be on her way. And that seems to be like the first time she's ever done that with anybody. So I think that's the last time we see her. Does she say where she's going or she's just going? No. You might be able to look it up, but I think she says something about she's going with her patron to do something. I don't know. But I don't think she specifically mentions where she's going. It'll be interesting to see if Quoth is uh, pulled to wherever she is in the next book. I find it interesting how they always end up in the same places, even when there's not really any reason for them to. That is the crux of their relationship. And that is the wise man's fear in Denna's times there. Moving on. Do we want to do we want to just start with her patron? I think Master Ash. Or do we want to look at some other thoughts and theories first? Uh, what are the thoughts and theories you got? I do always find it interesting how she seems to recognize all of Quoth's like things that he quotes, all of the plays and all that stuff. Like even the stuff that he claims is really obscure, she just kind of knows it. But I don't know that I have a theory surrounding it. That one kind of annoys me throughout the book, only because like any time he quotes Dayanica, someone's like or someone else quotes it, he makes mention of oh, not many people know that, but. Coming from his point of view, it seems like a lot of people know that one. <laughs> but it could be from him being a trooper, knowing all the songs and all the plays, and visiting little towns. He might just not be used to like living in you know next to him, right, where everybody knows that stuff. But uh, yeah, she is well versed in plays and songs, and and we don't know where that came from. Mm-mm. Okay, then let's let's dive into the meat. Master Ash, her patron. What? You want to just take them by uh, by name, and we'll discuss each one and what proofs, and then at the end, pick which one we like best. All right, Hannah, who do you think Master Ash is? <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, Cinder <laughs> is. Which Jeff knows and does not agree with. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot that points to Cinder being Master Ash. Even just in the name, obviously, that Cinder and Ash have the same meaning in English. Um, they're described, or their descriptions could match, I guess, because Cinder is described as pale and white haired, and then uh, an older. Well, obviously, with white hair, he's going to look older. And Dayok describes him as being an older fellow. And I think Master Ash is also described as having white hair. And then uh, when Kvulth is trying to pick a name for him, he goes with... I wish I had the book in front of me. Yeah, like, he he gets closer and closer to to Ferul. 
basically, or Ferule, however you want to pronounce it, which is Cinder's true name, according to the story from Ademre. And then, what else was there? I feel like there was more than that. No, that's really it. That's that's what the tough part of that one is. Oh, I'll add one oh. more. It's like, Cinder makes sense with the entire Moth and Farm scene. Yes. Him that is going away. Part. And when she comes to investigate, he comes out like because if it was anybody else, they would have been killed. It's the the Chandrin are there. Like, I don't see that like the Chandrin might have like human people helping them, but I doubt they have human people helping them while they're doing their slaughter. You know what I mean? And like and if there's a human that is sneaky enough to be anywhere around there and then to try to get Denna out and then be like. That, I think, is the biggest evidence towards it being Cinder, which that's also the biggest evidence against anybody else that's not Cinder, is because how the hell did they achieve that? Well, and especially, too, when, uh, like, why else would her patron ask her to count the people? Like, when Mm -hmm. is that going to be useful as a musician, the ability to count people? Like, he obviously has some sort of connection to the Chandrian. Oh, and then the other thing, the day that Denna meets Cinder, it's because, or meets Master Ash. Sorry, can you tell that I think that Master Ash is Cinder just a little bit? I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) The day she meets Master Ash, the reason that he's able to sort of catch up with her is because of the issue with both and the reagent. And then if you look at the signs, Cinder's sign, well, I think, is storm. And he's depicted as standing on water surrounded by snow. And then they mention at some point that one of the signs that people mention, like, anecdotally, is a chill in the air. And then the reason that the reagent caused that problem is because the canister froze because it was colder than normal. Kilvin assumes that it's because the Sigildry got damaged. But I can't help but wonder if, even if it was just a couple of degrees, if Master Ash being around the university is what caused that. Not necessarily specifically to Delegfolf, but because he was in the area. So you think, you think uh, if it is Cinder, you think he's, do you think he's specifically trying to mess with no. the both? Does he just I, not get, no. doesn't know who or what the kid is. No, I don't even think. I don't even think he caused it on purpose. Like, I think his presence just did it. Like, how if Cyphus were in town, the lights would be blue. I think mm-hmm. Cinder being in town caused the air temperature to lower more quickly than it should have. And not, not just the air temperature, the everything temperature. Also, uh, one point for Cinder is uh, the entire time we're in Severin, we know where Cinder is. He's... At least, theoretically, he's up in the Eld with the bandits. We know, at least at some point, he is there, and he's able to go there and go back and go there and go back. So we know he's around and in the area, too. So the entire time we're in Severin, and Denna is talking to her patron here and there. Mm -hmm. So we, we know for a fact that Cinder is up there as well. I think that's all we got for Cinder, right? I think so. I guess, too, uh, she mentions that her, well, no, she doesn't mention, the cafe mentions 
that her patron beats her with a cane. Mm-hmm. And people always say that that points to Brayden. But a ferule is a rod or cane that people use to discipline children. Oh. In what um, language? In, well, in English. But it comes from Latin. But it's it's a word in English that has that meaning. Mm-hmm. So that's also uh, could point to Cinder. Well, I also, I hear people say that if he had his sword, it would be disguised as a cane or something. Mm, glamoured as a cane. And that is Cinder. The, the Cathay also, yeah, the Cathay, and that would go more along with the Cathay's warning of, you've met him twice. Well, he and, says that uh, about Cinder, though, not about Master Ash. Well, but no, if he, he was Cinder, yeah. if Master Ash is Cinder, then it kind of, works out with that because the next one we're going to talk about is Brayden. Yeah. And Master so Ash cannot Brayden's be both. Master. Yep. Says you. We know at the very least that if Brayden is Master Ash, that means that Cinder is not Master Ash. Yes. that That's what that would do. That, because a lot yeah. of people suggest maybe Cinder is Brayden. And that. And Master uh, Ash, which doesn't work. No. Yeah. It's possible, guys. No. Listen. I'm, <laughs> I know he's. I know when he gets there, when Kvothe gets to the bandit camp, that Cinder is there acting like a leader. But that doesn't mean the bandits weren't robbing people with robbing people before Master Braden got there. But the cafe specifically said that meeting Cinder was again sick. was a twice in a lifetime opportunity. I know. I'm just yanking your chains. <laughs> Does that mean he's going to see him again? I think so. I think that there's going to be a final. Uh, I think Cinder is dead at the point twice. of the the telling of the story, but he hasn't he hasn't met him again twice. Seeing mm-hmm. him again is a twice in a lifetime opportunity. So that that's just, that's a way of using the words to trick us. So I think I think he's going to meet him one more time, and I think he's going to kill him in the embrace. Yes, I hope so too. And shatter the cobblestones. Shatter the cobblestones. Now they say he kills an angel. He tricks if a demon, look at, kills an angel. But if you look at how Sinner's described, he's described as sharp, cold, almost beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, obviously when his eyes are open, he's pretty terrifying. But just imagine him dead and bleeding, this like all-white figure that's I don't know, does he still got the grin on his and face? porcelain. I mean, presumably dead mm-hmm. he wouldn't. I mean, his muscles have relaxed. He would look like an angel. And I would. I, I twisted. Yeah, that's my hope. The evidence towards Brayden is. Let's see. The cane. He has a cane, which has a wolf head on it. Which I'll get to that later because there's some choice words. He's got white hair. He's old. Uh, he, he's well off. He's obviously wealthy. Uh, he is definitely eccentric. He, we we know that from how when Kavoth talks to him, he's eccentric and a little weird. So that kind of uh, and the whole thing is like we like Brayden in the book. Yeah, like he's a likable character. So the whole part of him, the concept of him beating Denna, doesn't make a lot of sense. Picture and, certainly. And the fact that I don't see Brayden getting down to the Mothin farm and being around that's also against him. And then they disappear at the same time. Denna they and Brayden. They disappear at the same do. time. 
And then uh, right after she mentions that her patron is remarkably light on his feet, yep. Brayden mentions dancing lessons. So that's one of the things that people. Does Brayden ever say he's like a historian or interested in history? Or is that catechist? I don't think that was catechist. I don't think Brayden said that either. Although he is interested in stories and rumors and yeah. such. So yeah. it wouldn't be a big leap because that that was the big thing denna was saying about her thing was she mentions her patron fancies himself a historian Hmm. and that's why he was helping her you know go through books and look this up and i I got a i got a theory for that later why that might be happening but uh the only other thing i got on brayden is and this doesn't necessarily point to him but it points to maybe him searching for denna uh, is when Kavoth finally goes back to the inn where Denna was staying, and this is after their fight and after he went off and came back, he finds the note that he wrote to her that she never got, but the innkeeper said something weird. He said that people kept coming in asking for her, and he mentions very specifically that uh, he had to keep the wolves at bay. Like, the wolves kept coming in trying to ask about her, which I found kind of a weird use of the term wolf on what he did. But if you read that, and literally, like, a couple pages later, when Kavoth is talking to Brayden again, he makes it very clear he brings up that his cane has a wolf head on it. I found that just an odd grouping of things happening. To me, that situation would be like, especially if... Brayden's symbol or heraldry had a wolf and like he sent some some minions down wearing livery that had wolves on it. Yeah. I don't think that the innkeeper would say I had to keep the wolves at bay because a guy with a cane with a wolf yeah. came down. Well no, that that's what I'm kind of thinking too. Like the reason he used the wor- word wolves could be because they had like a sigil of wolf on them or something. Hmm. And it, I just found it weird that they mentioned his wolf cane very quickly after that. I mean, that could be somewhat evidence. Like, if Denna did just run off, her patron might not know where the hell she is either. So he's kind of looking in after. I don't know. That's uh, that's for Brayden. The forum, someone suggested it was Master Lauren a little while ago. Oh. Which, uh, which is... Odd that I kind of throw that one away. I thought about it for a little bit, but the same person also suggested that Denna was a... Uh, Chandrian? No. <laughs> oh, people always say a, that. A, a well, scrib. She is, a, so. An acquisition scrib who goes out uh. and tries books. Personally, I don't think that's impossible. Everybody was like, no, you have to be a scrib if you're going to be uh, the guy who goes out to do acquisitions. And I don't necessarily agree. You can be a well-versed adventurer and also work for Lauren. I suppose you could. I don't think she would, though. So I'm not saying that she is. I'm just saying her not going to the university isn't a reason to say she couldn't be. That's true. I don't know, though. I never got the impression that she had the familial ties or money to allow her to go to the university. I mean, Quoth is definitely the exception rather than the rule when it comes to that. He works his butt off trying to make enough money to actually stay there. 
You guys want to hear my my secret new pet theory? Let her rip. Go for it. What do you guys think of her patron being Baron Jackis? Ambrose Jackis' dad. Is there any evidence for it? (laughs) All right. So this was a pet pet theory I kind of picked up in this reread. So I was specifically looking for stuff. First thing I see is what is the first instrument Denna is learning to play from her uh, patron? It is a lyre. Who Mm -hmm. else do we know that plays lyre? Ambrose. Not really. I mean, he plucks at the strings while reciting poetry. (laughs) But still, that would make sense. If if her patron just had a random instrument around to give her, it would be... That would be the instrument Baron Jackis would give her. Uh, Let's see. He is described as wealthy, eccentric. Uh, If he's anything like his son, I'm sure he would be okay beating her. He's a widower. Yeah, that doesn't really do much. But uh, uh, the other thing is when they're talking about her patron being a historian and wanting to specifically look up genealogies, here's my pet theory on that. If it is Baron Jackis... What I think might happen is he is studying genealogies to try to see if there is a link between himself and like an ancient king or something like that. Because we know in modern times with Kavoth, there is a schism of a penitent king and probably a real king, and it's a civil war on who should actually be the king. And, uh, I'm thinking the Baron is using Denna to look into the genealogical studies to see if they can find any link that they can use to try to elevate himself or his son higher in the uh, hierarchy. Because while this is all happening, I think uh, Kavoth mentions that a few more people die and they're even closer to the hierarchy before Mm -hmm. when they mention that he was like 12. uh, Yeah. I really got the sense that their family was killing off these other people. Oh, yeah. I got that well, they sense say they're also. the the pirate isles. And that's like and if that's what they're doing, I also see him doing this to and the reason he might have approached Denna is because Ambrose has already dated her at that point. So maybe he learned about her from Ambrose or maybe he was in town visiting Ambrose, because if his son's in Imray, he might come down and visit some sometimes, and that's might where she met him, is when one time he was visiting, and she also sees him in Severin, where he also lives in Ventus, which is you know, a good bit away, but they also mention that uh, his patron has, her patron has rubbed shoulders with the mare, and, like, he made it a point to say something like that. And that sounds very much more like what a Baron Jackus would do other than a Breeden. So if you think that Baron Jackus is her patron and that he met her while she was dating Ambrose, who was her patron in the name of the wind when she went to the farm? Ooh, I don't know. Could be the same. Yeah, did she have two, or... I don't know. 
No, it's got to be the same guy, I suppose. And that, that also throws that monkey wrench in there that it throws for everybody else. There's a whole moth and farm incident. But, like I said, it's just a little pet theory. Um, I don't know. And then, also, if that is the case, and if he is, like, in line to be king, and him, Kavoth, killing him and getting the title of king killer, uh, and then Ambrose, thus being thrust up into a position to be a king, possibly the penitent king that both now will not toast a drink to. That makes sense to me. Okay. I'm picking up what you're laying down. I'm not sure I'm 100% on board, <laughs> but I'm, I very I'm hearing little what you're saying. Hannah, do you have any feelings? Yeah, I'm, I'm not on board either with this one. <laughs> um... Especially the genealogy thing. I feel like if you're going to try and find... Why would Cinder want to look up genealogies? That was an excuse to get her to look up the stuff about Lanre and Lyra. And I thought he was trying to find uh, connections to... We don't know what Halix is looking for, which makes it so hard. I feel like if we knew what they were looking for, it would be way easier to uh, postulate on why they need yes. the genealogy. Yeah, that's the thing. They killed Kavoth's entire family for writing a song about Lanre and thinking of his names and all that. But now we might have Cinder trying to get her to write a song about him. Like, I don't think he cares about... I, but that the thing is, I, I doubt Haleax gives a crap about a song being good about him. It could be, like... By all means, it could be Cinder just trying to put a thorn in Haleax's side by getting someone to write a song about him. Because we know Cinder is not the most uh, dedicated. Well, is Haleax chased by the name Laundre? Like, is that the one that pricks him from his sleep? No, I don't think so. I think think it would be Alaxel. Yeah, so I I doubt that song says Alexel, so I don't know if it would really be a prick in Haliax's side. If anything, it would be kind of a gift to Haliax, wouldn't it? Rewriting his story to make him look like the good guy. Uh, Are you kidding? If Haliax is just sitting around doing whatever he does, because he's not killing everywhere, he's got to, like, be places, and he starts hearing this song everywhere he goes, can you be how pissed he's like, even if he is the good guy in it, like, he gets to hear the story about his lost love again. He gets to hear the story about how he's now cursed again. That's got to be a pain in the ass. Well, we don't know that the words have him getting... We don't know that it ends with him getting cursed, her version of the song. No, it, I think it says that uh, it ends because it doesn't go on to where... Like, she says it ends when Salidos curses him. But he is the hero, so Salidos is the one... Being bad by the bad guy. Yeah. All right. I wonder if her song mentioned anything about being shadow hamed. Like that's his curse still, because that's like the clear sign that, you know, the leader of the Chandrin is shadow hamed. He's shadowed. Mm. I actually kind of have a pet theory about. Well, about Dayanica more than anything else. 
And I think that Dayanica tells a story similar to the story that Denna's song tells. And that it's a version of Lonry's story in which he's depicted as the good guy. Because there's just too many similarities to me, even though they're just small similarities between Tarsus and Lonre and how they're described at various points. Like, they talk about... When Ben is talking about the story of Lonre, he talks about how Lonre sold his soul, but or how there are stories where Lonre sold his soul, but of course that's untrue. And then they talk about how Tarsus sold his soul. And then they talk about... Um, well, I guess it's not specifically mentioned that Lonre goes through the doors of stone, but I think that he does and comes back out having, or after having gone through the doors of stone. And then they talk about Tarsus uh, bursting out of hell and you know that everything's going to be okay. Um, and I don't know. I just, I feel like Dayanica is important and I feel like that's why. And then they talk to when both is researching the Chandrian he talks about how all the names that he can find in the one source he found were either pulled from the Book of Path or mm-hmm. from Dayanica. Mm. Well, isn't Day- they're all demons in Dayanica, though, aren't they? I mean, we don't really know. I we bet don't Dayanica, know the story of Dayanica. Dayanica. Well, the thing is, like, it could be, like, because that it that is the theory that I have of the whole book is like there is a true story about Lanre. And that story has been getting manipulated over and over and over and over again to all these different stories, including the entire Talon religion story. It was just a retelling of a similar story with new characters and different ways of things happening. Yeah, I definitely think so, that's like yeah. a parable version of that. By all means, Dayanica could be another retelling of it. But I think Dayanica tells more closer to Denner's Denna's version, like it shows him in a positive light. I don't know. I didn't read too much. Like uh, you said, you did a reread very specifically to reread just the old stories. Yeah. Is that you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I didn't, I never done a reread just specifically looking into that. So uh, yeah, I didn't pay that much attention into when they were actually going through the Dionica stuff. When they mentioned too, the revenge is mentioned a lot in Dayanica, which makes sense if Lonre was wanting to take revenge on Selatos. They mention the uh, blue fire in Dayanica, which makes it sound like it's a story about the Chandrian. It makes you think. Like, uh, is Lonre not the bad guy? I guess. It's true. What if Scarpy was spreading disinformation? <laughs> I think it's clear from the story that the Chandrian, as they are now, are definitely the antagonists. Yeah. Well, they're the antagonists to Kavos. That doesn't mean they're the bad guys. I think the Chandrian, as they are now, are the bad guys. The Chandrian that murdered Kavos' parents are definitely not the good guys. Like, we know Haler, he wants to destroy the world. We know that. Yeah. Whether for uh, acceptable-ish reasons or not, it's it's not a very... Yeah. And, and that's the thing. thing, it doesn't matter what his reasons are, he still wants to destroy the world. That's all I got.
So this has been another episode. Please share your thoughts and feelings about Denna. Let us know if you think we're way off mark or if you agree with us. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter at the Road to Tinue, on Gmail, the Road or Road to Tinue at gmail.com. And that's the number two road, the number two Tinue. And all of that's in the show notes. Guys, you want to let ladies and gentlemen, you want to know how they can find you? You go first. Me? Oh, why do I have to go first? Um, As a moderator. You can find me in the group, because that's the only place where I spend a lot of time. Make sure you're a part of the King Color fan page on Facebook, if you're a Facebooker, because... Everything we talk about is already there. Not everything, but almost. A lot of it. Almost, yeah. So if you love hearing crazy theories about these books, you should definitely be there. And I'll post a link to that. Jeff? Uh, yeah, you can find me on the uh, Facebook page. Um, you can also look up my game page from uh, Punk Vest Games on Facebook. You can also very specifically look up my game uh, Shelving Shenanigans on Facebook. Uh, I do lots of playtesting for my games in the Northeast Ohio area, so if you are anywhere in there, please contact me, and I can you can test play my games if you like. I have music over at edemaru.bandcamp.com. Uh, actually, no, I am very sorry. That is not actually it. It is the urbanpirates.bandcamp.com because that is the old band name. But uh, the Adumaru album's on there and some lot of other stuff. And that's it. All right. Thanks for joining us. See you on the road. Thank you. Thank you. You guys can say see you on the road too if you like. Oh, oh. see you on the road. <laughs> See you on the road as well. Hello, fellow Roth fans. Sorry for the delay. I know this episode came out pretty late compared to the others. I had some real-life busyness followed by a real-life vacation that kept me from sticking to the schedule you've become used to. Welcome to all the new followers. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I need your help. Coming in February, I'm looking to do kind of a romantic episode. So if you know the seven words that will open your heart and you want to tweet those at me, or if you want to send me a voice memo of a sweet or romantic memory about the books, or maybe you met your boyfriend because they were wearing a Patrick Rothfuss t-shirt, or you saw your girl reading Name of the Wind and struck up a conversation, maybe you had a literary themed wedding and everyone got invitations with quotes from the books whatever it is i want to know so please share it with me you know how to get a hold of me see you on the road can we talk about what's a good response to that in the first to place see you then? on the road or yeah what's a good response see you as well no i just like it's like see you later see you on the road see ya you too Ta-ta. <laughs> Not if I'm lucky. <laughs> Put shoes on. <laughs> the road Stay warm and dry. Right when you get work. There you go. Right when you get work. <laughs> That's pretty good.